Good day. I'm Sunny Krishnan from Internews. In this podcast today, which is the second in our series of updates on the COVID-19 vaccines, we have Adele Baleta, who is a pandemic health journalism mentor with Internews and a specialist on vaccine reporting. Welcome to this podcast, Adele. Thank you so much for the invitation, Sunny. It's lovely to be with you again. Several countries stand out for their success in delivering coronavirus vaccinations, while most of the world is struggling to figure out how to get immunizations into more arms. What can you tell us about this, Adele? So, Sunny, uh, I think for context, I'd like to start off with mentioning that more than 65 million doses of vaccines have already been rolled out in 65 countries to date bearing in mind that we still have to get to billions of people, but that is where we stand at the moment. The UK was the first country to begin delivering the Pfizer biotech vaccine in early December. That was the first vaccine ever, ever rolled out. And the European Union followed um, by rolling out the same vaccine at the end of December. What is the situation at the moment? So Middle Eastern countries are the top scorers in the race to vaccinate their citizens. Israel is currently number one in the world, having already delivered 39.94 doses per 100 people. So they've already given the vaccine out to a quarter of their population. Looking at how they managed to do this, um, their success is due to being a small country, having paid top dollar to acquire vaccines. So I found anywhere between $30 to $47 a dose, which is extremely high. And they also have a robust health system. But a word of caution, while being applauded for its vaccine efforts, human rights organizations have actually condemned Israel for leaving out the more than 5 million Palestinians leaving in the West Bank and Gaza. So rollouts are also checkered things. The United Arab Emirates is second with 23.14 doses per 100 people. And the success of the UAE and Bahrain, um, which is also high on the list, has been attributed to these countries having signed off early on both the Pfizer and Sinopharm vaccines last year. So they had two vaccines to roll out. In spite of the first to roll out, being the first to roll out, the UK has 10 in every 100 people receiving a shot. And they basically are third from the top. They have been uh, challenged with various delivery issues. And so it's not as been as, um, as easy, I would say, as the other countries. Turning to the US, the US has delivered 22 million doses. And that's a lot. But that only represents, remember, 6.82 doses in every 100 people. President Biden recently declared the US rollout a dismal failure as it falls far short of targets that have been set. So the US has been dogged by delays in distributing the vaccine, lacks, lack of supply of second doses of the vaccine, and there's also been vaccine hesitancy, which has been fueled by anti-vaxxers. The success in the EU, although they started early, is patchy, with many in the Balkans feeling abandoned by their EU neighbours. So they're not getting access as much as other countries in the EU, in, in the European Union. 
Germany, Germany initially had problems with the stability of doses being compromised when a break in the cold chain occurred during transportation to cities. The EU is now also confronting a lack of AstraZeneca doses. So that is going to be a problem for them going forward. Um, I think that France has been known to be a country which has high vaccine hesitancy, as in other European countries. So that's another challenge that they have to face. But I think importantly, vaccine hoarding has thus far left low-income countries on the back foot in the race of vaccine to vaccinate. And so they don't even feature on the list at the moment. What can you tell us about the new vaccine candidates that have gone through phase three trials and are about to be rolled out? In particular, uh, can you tell us about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Yes, sure. So, well, there are 20 vaccines that are currently in phase three trials. Um, and we have seen some given emergency approval, such as the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Sinopharm, Sputnik V, Covishield and Covaxin, amongst others. Um, you know, we talk about uh, these still being in phase three trials because data is still being looked at. It's still being collected on all these vaccines in spite of the fact that some have been given emergency approval. Eagerly awaited are the results of Novavax and especially the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And the Johnson & Johnson vaccines results are expected this week. So it's definitely something to look out for. There is a lot of interest in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, specifically because it is a single dose vaccine. And it also does not require refrigeration at extreme temperatures. So unlike the Pfizer Biotech um, vaccine, this, this vaccine only needs to be uh, stored at minus two to minus eight degrees centigrade, which has huge advantages in terms of distribution and maintaining a cold chain. Then like AstraZeneca vaccine, it is a viral vector vaccine that uses the adenovirus, which is a virus of the common cold, and therefore it is not uh, virulent. Um, this adenovirus is engineered to carry coronavirus genes. Um, the J Johnson & Johnson is also looking at a two-dose regimen of their vaccine. So the first dose we're looking at really, it's, it's great exciting news for all the reasons that I've lined out, but they are also going ahead and looking at a two-dose regimen. The World Health Organization's COVAX program aims to help developing countries secure vaccines. However, the program will only cover the most vulnerable 20% of each country's population. Assuming that each vaccine requires the administration of two doses, Africa, with a population of over 1.3 billion people, will need at least 1.6 billion doses to meet its 60% vaccination target. Now, to make up for COVAX's limited reach, African governments are considering deals to buy vaccines that are viewed with a certain amount of uh, skepticism in the West. In particular, several governments have expressed interest in vaccines manufactured by China's Sinovac and Sinopharma companies. What can you tell us about this, Adele? So Sunny, 
you know, China is both a long established diplomatic partner and an investor in Africa. Chinese interests on the continent encompass not only natural resources of which we have many in Africa, but also issues of trade, security, and diplomacy. And this has been going on for a number of years. So it's no surprise that China would assist the continent with vaccine supply. In fact, China has stated it is willing to supply free vaccines to countries in Africa. The West's skepticism about the efficacy of the Chinese vaccines comes out of China's veil of secrecy, let's call it that, over the trial data of their vaccines. But it is unlikely to deter the vaccine relationship between African countries and China. Remember, vaccine hoarding has ultimately not been kind to Africa. And with China offering their vaccines for free, and I'm sure uh, for if it's a case of paying for them, it will be at a very, very low cost. Africa is not in a position necessarily to deny or to say no. The issue though, that I do want to say is that each country has a regulator. Not all countries have regulators, but they rely on the WHO in that case to give regulatory approval for any specific vaccine for their country if they do not have a regulatory authority. So the point here is that the vaccines from China won't just be rolled out. They will have to go undergo regulatory approval within country before they can be rolled out. And remember, uh, the West is not necessarily saying that these Chinese vaccines are bad vaccines. And I think that's very important. The problem comes, as is with Russia, is that the data is not being shared. And until that happens, there's always going to be skepticism. But it does not mean that these vaccines, which China says have high efficacy, um, are just that, that they don't have high efficacy. We must assume that they do have efficacy, um, but the regulator will be the determiner of whether the vaccine is rolled out or not. On another front, India in its neighborhood first initiative makes it the first country to deliver COVID-19 vaccines across South Asia ahead of COVAX. Free shipments of AstraZeneca's vaccine manufactured by the Serum Institute of India have begun arriving in the Maldives, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. Doses have also been sent to Seychelles and Myanmar. Is this completely opposite to the vaccine nationalism we had seen earlier among rich countries? So, you know, I think let's have a look at vaccine nationalism and vaccine diplomacy a bit closer. The world has been consumed with vaccine nationalism even since before a single dose of any vaccine was manufactured. So I'm referring to the mad scramble by high and middle income countries to access as many doses as possible for their citizens. This was called hoarding via bilateral deals with manufacturers and which has been described by the Director General of the WHO, Dr. Tedros, as, and I quote, a catastrophic moral failure as it has been at the expense of low-income countries. So that is what we 
are, have understood to be vaccine nationalism, which has an incredibly negative connotation. India has responded differently by opening up access. And as you say, you know, the shipments are part of India's neighborhood first initiative, making it the first country to deliver COVID-19 vaccines across South Asia. And it must be pointed out that this is ahead of China, which has promised, but not so far delivered to COVAX. So China sees itself as an important facilitator of delivering vaccines, but it has not delivered yet. So China is currently losing the race, if you think of it in terms of India. It has to be said though, that India has geopolitical aspirations. And it's been noted that India's vaccine diplomacy, while seemingly humanitarian, and surely it is, it's also designed to create more space for itself as China pushes to expand its influence in South Asia. India also wants to heal its relationship with Bangladesh, which is one of the countries you mentioned that are going to receive shipments of India's vaccine. And the healing of the relationship follows India's controversial citizenship laws that in keeps Muslims out. And like India, and sorry, and like China, it also wants a foothold in Nepal. So while India's diplomacy is to be applauded as it caters for low-income countries compared to the West's hoarding of vaccines, this must be seen within the context of geopolitical aspirations. It is a big player and meets 62% of global demand for vaccines. So my feeling is that we need to track this, we need to stay with the story, we need to watch the space about how this diplomacy unfolds. Finally, Adele, this is the question on everyone's lips. Will the new variants of COVID-19 have any effect on the current vaccine's use? Scientists are concerned about variants that have emerged in the UK, Brazil, and South Africa. And the reason for this is that these variants are more transmissible. In other words, they are more easily spread. But it must be said that they are not more virulent. That means that none of these variants cause more severe disease. The issue about why we are seeing more deaths related to these variants is because there is more infection, which means that more people are seeking access to healthcare facilities. And in many cases, the access, the, the healthcare facilities have been overburdened and are not coping, especially in resource poor settings. So that, need, that point needs to be stressed. All of these um, variants have undergone changes to their spike protein, which is very important in the SARS-CoV-2 virus gaining access into and attaching to human cells. And there are concerns that the current COVID-19 vaccine will not give protection against these variants. So I'm happy to say, Sunny, I have some good news for you. The Pfizer vaccine has been found not to be affected by the B117 variant first identified in the UK. So that gives us pause for celebration. As much and as early as yesterday, Moderna announced that their vaccine is both protective against the mutation found in the UK 
as well as the V the, the 501Y.2 variant that emerged in South Africa. However, with regard to the South African uh, variant, it is less protective. So while the UK is fully protected, the, the, the UK, uh, the South African variant um, has issues. It's not that it is not protected, it is less protected. The South African variant has shown to escape neutralizing antibodies, which are part of our body's defense mechanism against viruses. Moderna says it will begin immediate development of a booster vaccine to deal with the variant found in South Africa. In addition, research is underway on all of these variants to see how they interact with vaccines. Scientists in South Africa have stressed that until shown otherwise, it is reasonable to expect vaccines to be effective against the variant that emerged in South Africa as has been seen in clinical trials to date. I also want to say that our immune response to infection and to vaccines involves more than just antibodies. So in the South African case, where these um, variants seem to escape neutralizing antibodies, there are other mechanisms that can deal with fighting the virus. And researchers are currently looking at these. So the jury is still out. We need to pause. We need to be able to reflect on this accurately um, and not to spread any panic about any of these variants. The science is evolving and we will get to know what is happening. But I would say that both the Moderna and Pfizer results are very encouraging indeed. Thank you, Adia Baleta. This podcast has been brought to you by Internews' Rooted in Trust project, supported by USAID. Mm-hmm.